My name is Cindy Bolton. I'm a member of the Women's Shepherd team here at the OP site. Um, I'm married to Breck, who um, we've been married for 36 years. Um, we've been at Hope for 14. We lived in Charlotte for 33. And um, I am originally a North Carolinian who grew up all over the Southeast, mostly South Carolina, but now mostly North Carolina, because 33 is just over half of my life. Um, years. So, um, and then uh, we have two children and a, a son-in-law and one grandson. Our son, Brett Jr. is 34. Our daughter, Blair, is 30. Her husband, Drew, is 30. Little Bolton, little Bo, is um, one. And all of those four people live in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> um, Denver's a great place to visit. It's an easy flight from Charlotte, um, but I sure do miss them. So um, most of you, I think, who are listening or in this room are near their children. And um, I think that today will be a great topic because anxiety is where, um, and in motherhood in particular, is where it hit me the most. Um, but today, let's start with our passage. You'll see on your papers, for those who, who get a paper, that I included the previous week's um, verses in the reading today. And so in the first reading, I'm going to read through the whole part, but I want you to pay particular attention to verses 31 through 34. And then in the um, preceding readings, I'll just read 31 through 34, okay? Because they are connected and related. All right. So let's take a moment just to calm down, quiet, and, and listen to the Lord. Um, let yourself relax. Um, tell, tell yourself that I, you're here for this and ask the Holy Spirit to meet you at this moment, in this place, with these people, um, in his word. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of his span to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Think about what word or phrase that jumped out to you and jot it down. 
what seems louder than the rest. Okay, in this next reading, I want you to try putting yourself visually, placing yourself visually in the verses from 25 through 30. Um, Watching the birds with Matt Guzzi. Or looking at a field of beautiful flowers or sitting in front of a favorite scene or piece of art. Engage your five senses and write down what you feel and think after you hear Jesus' words here. How does his voice sound to you? After reading the first parts of the verse about the birds and the flowers, Jesus says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay, the last reading. In verses 31 through 34, Jesus gives three instructions or exhortations in those verses. What do you think you're hearing from him? What do you think he's inviting you to understand? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay. Thank y'all for being so such good listeners and I can tell people are writing. I'm glad the Lord is thanking the Lord for what he will do today. I'm really glad that today is here because I have been so anxious getting ready for this day. <laughs> uh, kept, yesterday I kept telling myself, just think of how you're going to feel at 2 o'clock tomorrow. Just think of how you're going to feel then. Um, but um, I don't know if you know, most of you probably have, I haven't had the pleasure of, of teaching you before, um, but for those of you who have, I have, you might remember that I like to ask you questions, and I like to engage you in, in responding and in digging into the Word with me. Um, so the first section, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, and don't be afraid at all to give an answer. Um, I'll, um, there's not, there aren't full right or wrong answers. It's really a, really the point is to get us together to dig in and learn, um, what Jesus is trying to tell us. Um, so, um, in, in this, this passage, the reason I listed all of this passage is that this whole section is, um, set up together in the Sermon on the Mount and it has a unique um, pattern in it. It has a lot of imagery in it. It has a lot of um, uh, um, questions in it. It's, it's, it's unique in the way that Jesus speaks just in this section. So um, let's kind of look at it together and see what we find. So um, looking at this overall structure, um, tell me, I mean, Jesus in this section asks a lot of questions. I don't know if y'all noticed that. But um, there are questions in the first section, the 25 through 30, and then there are questions in the second section. And I'm just wondering, do you notice any difference between those sets of questions? Or what do you notice about the questions in general? What do y'all notice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're about basic things, basic needs, right? That's good. Anything else? What else do y'all see? Yeah, things that you have to do every day. Yeah, that's true. He repeats. Yeah. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Yeah. Right. It's, there's a lot of repetition in the questions. That's true. 
Do you see anything about the tents? Yes. Yes. You think that'll have, that I'll be happy to. That answers or things people are saying, I'd be happy to. Thank you for telling me. I have a sister who is um, severely hearing impaired, but I don't live near her, so I often forget that it is very helpful for us to speak loudly and clearly for those that are and to look towards them when we're speaking. So I'll try to remember that, and thank you for asking. Um, um, I'm so glad that you'd speak up. I think we don't tend to speak up about our basic needs, and for you, this is one. So... Thank you. Um, so the, the questions, I liked, I liked what somebody said about that they're repetitive. What else, you know, there's not just re- repetition in the questions. What else, what do you see repeated in this whole group of verses? What phrases or words do you see repeated? Mm-hmm. How so? What are you thinking? Um, the phrases about um, are you of no more value than they? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then again, he says something about that, doesn't he? I, think so. I can't find it right yeah, now. Yeah, that's it, though. He does. He says it in comparison to the birds and then in comparison to the lilies of the field or the grasses. That's good. She said that there's repetition, there, there are words about value in, in the phrase. Do y'all see any other words that are repeated? How about therefore? How many times are, is that in, this, in these verses? You might know. It's, tw- it's twice in our section. And one more in the section above. So, but twice in the short section we are looking at. Um, in the in the overall section, how many other things do you see repeated? <laughs> oh yeah, that was one that really stuck out. Um, she said, "Do not." Um, when I first read this over and over, I kept saying, "Why are there so many do nots?" I don't like do not. <laughs> I'm a rebel. I'm strong-willed. Um, that just like, you know, peaks my, my ire a little bit. Um, but I thought, okay, why? Why are you saying this, Lord? Um, what tone? I mean, one, one other word. There's one other word that's in here five times. What do you think it is? Worry. Rebecca said worry. Anxiety. Um, and when Jesus is talking about all these things, our daily needs, our worry and anxiety, what kind of tone, and he's saying do not five times, um, what kind of things, um, what kind of tone do you think he's using? What kind of sound, what are you interpreting or hearing when you hear those words? Very kind, comforting. Really? Cree said very kind and comforting. I'm hearing it both with a, a normal person saying it. It could be very shameful. Uh-huh. Condemning. Yep. But for Jesus to say it, it's almost like you need to 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Janine said it's it's it could sound very condemning um, and um, harsh, but when Jesus is saying it, if you're picturing him, you're looking about thinking about how his eyes are looking at you, what kind of expression is on his face, and it could almost it could seem very loving. Um, so the world might hear these as condemning statements, but his children could hear these as kind statements. Yeah, big good difference. Um, you know, since there's so much repetition, I don't know how many English people we have in the room. You know, raise your hands. Um, when you have so much repetition, what do you think that's there for? Do y'all know? Emphasis. Emphasis. That's right. And it's also used to build. And there is actually a climax in this section of verses. In verse, take a guess which verse it is. 33, yes, somebody said it. Um, it's building to something. The repetition is building to something. And the climax of the section is verse 33, where he tells us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jonathan Pennington, in his commentary on this sermon, says that this is the thermographic hotspot of the whole Sermon on the Mount. And I thought, well, why is that? Um, so I had to read <laughs> and ask him. And um, do you see two things that are spoken together in this one verse? Right. Kingdom and righteousness. This is the first time or only time in this grouping where he uses those two specific words together. And he put them in parallel importance. Um, the word here, um, righteousness, is the same as in Matthew 5, 6, which is also part of the Sermon on the Mount. Does somebody have that open and can read it pretty quickly? I'll tell you what, why don't I read it so that it can be heard easily? 5, 6 is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Satisfied. That's right. Um, in the Greek, that word is a feminine noun, which means justice and righteousness. It describes the work of God intervening in the world to make wrong things right. Isn't it fitting that it's a feminine noun? <laughs> and it's about making wrong things right? Um, the word in Hebrew means deliverance, salvation, victory. Those are some pretty strong words. Um, what does it say about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? We just said it, but let's say it again. What does it say? They shall be satisfied. That's a strong phrase. Because the way the words are grouped in our text, do you think it could be that there's a correlation between finding healing or freedom from anxiety and making things just and right in the world? Let's just think about that. We'll come back to it. Um, Jesus' authority over all things and provision and care for his children is being shown here. It's as if he's saying, don't let the world and what you experience in it 
fool you into thinking that this is all there is and that I am not going to take care of you. What else do you notice about verse 33? Anything else? Anything about the verbs or the nouns? What? It'll It'll be given. We will be given. That's good. Yes, it's his. It's not ours. It's his. Very good. The priority of focus. Oh, yeah. That's really good. Um, The change of focus from desiring earthly things to kingdom things. That's very good, true. All of that's good. Um, it's, it's active. It's active. Um, so, he's telling us to do what in this verse? Seek, right? That's the word he uses. And how do we, what do you need for seeking? If you've got your Bibles, look back at verse 22 in the same chapter. Eyes. And what kind of eye? Clear, clear, healthy, different versions say different things. Um, But once again, that's part of being his child and being in his kingdom of justness and righteousness. But he wants to give us a clear eye. Anxiety, excuse me, anxiety can cloud our vision. And our minds. But Jesus is offering us something more here in the midst of it. I think what Jesus is saying to us is, with great patience and kindness, I know what's going on in that little head of yours, Cindy Bolton. This whole sermon I just gave is a series of blessings and instructions about living in my way in the world. Um, that are different than and set apart from the anxiety that you and others experience here. I know it's still a battle for you, though, and you're having a hard time believing me, which is so true at times for all of us. So I want to call you back into the real battle, out of the one with the world, and into the one, into a place where things are being made right, through me. You don't have to do it. Oh, so what Jesus is telling us is something pretty clear to me and that um, we all have anxiety. I bet you everyone in here at some point could raise their hand and say, yes, I have had moments of great anxiety. And we will have it again. It's part of living in the not yet. Um, But Jesus tells us in this passage, do not be anxious. So what do we do? Um, Curtis Chan, in his book, The Anxiety Opportunity, which I highly recommend, um, says the universal experience of anxiety is an opportunity, an invitation to get to know our own hearts and the Father's heart, who we really are and who he really is. Now, I could sit here and tell you all the details of things I've learned about anxieties these last few weeks. After reading 
two books, actually two and a half books, <laughs> writing a paper, this talk four times, and um, rewriting it again last night. <laughs> I felt like I was in my last semester of college. <laughs> um, but from some of these books, I, there's some interesting points. Um, Dr. Justin Brewer's book called Unwinding Anxiety is a secular book, but it's scientific. All kinds of interesting things, like about your prefrontal cortex and how it goes offline. When Your prefrontal cortex is actually the part of your brain that helps you reasonably make decisions and plan for things. Um, but it goes offline when fear and certainty and uncertainty combine in our brains. Um, I can tell you about the process that um, that all creates, and it's called an anxiety worry loop. I can tell you that it actually feeds on itself. <laughs> Your brain actually stores pieces of information and puts it back into the cycle. I can tell you about how we probably have more anxiety than ever in history. You heard Jen talk about it, I think. Matt talk about it Sunday if you heard the sermon. But adults and children alike have astronomical levels of anxiety in our society today. I can tell you about trigger responses, about the shame-anxiety connection. And then I could tell you lots about what Curtis Chan says about how anxiety is a universal human response. But it's an opportunity as believers for us to receive healing, restoration, and a chance to lose something that could be very good to lose. As a matter of fact, as I told you earlier, I wrote reams about all this, both of them, both books. But that's just one of my ways of dealing with anxiety. I overprepare. I overwork. Um, and to read and tell you everything I've learned would be way too long, <laughs> and you would be very bored. Um, I know this because I had my husband read one of the passage, one of the one of the papers, and I said, "Tell me, give it to me, just tell me." And he said, "This is pretty boring." <laughs> he said, "It sounds like I'm reading an article in a magazine." I said, "Oh, wow! I didn't think I could get in a magazine. That's pretty good." <laughs> um, but anyway, um, the reason I know a lot about anxiety is not just about reading books. I have had a panic disorder in my life. I have dealt with anxiety since I was a child, but didn't really know it until the panic disorder hit me. Um, I still deal with it at times. Um, and I know that some of you do too. Um, I'd be happy to tell you more about that later, and hopefully some of it will come up in the talk. But I want to tell you mostly about what I've learned about what the Lord does in it and through it for us, and about some of what I've learned from the books. So let's start with one of the biggest problems of anxiety. Most of the time, we don't like it. I'd say all of the time, we don't like it. Um, or the feelings that are actually driving the anxiety. So we want to do something to fix it. I've gotten really good at this. Um, we want to get rid of it. We want to suppress it. We want to deflect it. 
We want to pretend like it's not really there. We're ashamed of the things that make us anxious, and we often want to get away from them. We don't like our frailty. Remember the birds? Our fears and all those things we feel less than about, and there are plenty of those things for all of us, like our bodies or our beauty or our talents. Um, We really don't like thinking about how truly vulnerable we are on this earth, how temporary we are. No wonder our tendencies are to toil and spin. And that the Lord even says that with his own words in this passage. No wonder we're subject to anxiety. But I know from experience that there is a way to deal with it that brings us peace and gives us purpose in the kingdom. See, there's a funny little thing about anxiety. Um, It gets worse the more we try to avoid it. Undealt with, it's a bottomless pit. A monster with a voracious appetite that doesn't stop. I think that's part of why Jesus is talking about it so much in our passage. He's acknowledging our tendencies and fears and frailty and saying that there's a way to step out of it. Brewer, from Unwinding Anxiety, says he tells his patients, your brain has to choose... Now, this is a secular um, neuroscience scientist. Your brain has to choose another thing to get out of the loop. And he calls it a BBO, a bigger, better offer. Um, Well, guess what? Jesus thought of that idea first. And he calls it seeking first his kingdom, his correct rightness and justice. He says, we're not the monster that the world is trying to fight. Look how the father, like he's saying, I'm not a monster that the world is trying to fight. Look at how the father cares for the birds. See the beauty we create in those who are in our hands and calls us to take another action. Don't think that I'm like the anxiety you feel. It's in our anxiety that he actually comes to us. I mean, he talked about it five times in this whole section. And he's saying you must recognize it too. The repetition says something. Because in order to seek the kingdom, you have to start at the beginning, in your own heart. And you have to see what's true before you can trust in him to make things right. So if we believe that if we believe him about who he is. Wouldn't it reason to believe that he wants to use anxiety in all the ways that we suffer in this world for our good as well as living out his kingdom on this earth? Wouldn't it make sense and reason that he is calling us to live differently when he's telling us not to do something? He knows this is a broken, anxious world, and he wants to give you justice, righteousness, Chan and Brewer, both Chan and Brewer, and I all agree that naming your anxiety is part of the answer. The Bible ascribes power to the act of naming things. Naming differentiates between persons or things. It separates you from the thing. 
Um, it also places authority in the right position. Jesus names it five times, like I said. He also separates his children from those who aren't, telling us, this is my kingdom. You are in my kingdom. His repetition could possibly feel like a hammer, like Janine said. But really, his tone is more like a steady path correction, a calm voice speaking truth and reminding us of who we are and where we should focus. If we hear the words of scolding, I think we're missing the opportunity. But you still have an opportunity to hear it differently today. Do you remember how he drew Martha in by naming her anxiety? Do you remember the story? Mary and Martha, Jesus is there. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha's in the kitchen or wherever she is, running around, doing everything. Um, that word for anxiety, the Greek word, is marimna. I don't know why I like saying that word. Marimna. Um, but it means to be in pieces. Um, Martha was working so hard. She was really feeling it, the pressure. And she couldn't take it any longer. So what did she do? Does anybody remember? Complain. What? Complain. She, she went and she complained to who, Amy? Jesus. So she was doing a good thing. And going to him, she didn't even know she was. She wasn't even trying to do a good thing. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but she went to Jesus. And do you all remember what she said to him? I had forgotten this. She said, don't you care that I'm doing all this stuff? And he told her with great compassion that she was worried about many things. Too many things. But there was only one thing that was necessary. There was a single thing that was greater than all the rest. I have a feeling Martha's shoulders relaxed at that moment. I sure hope so. Naming it helped remove some of the power. Then there's accepting it. Because once it's named, you can't ignore it anymore. Chan gave us three acceptance moves, or in his book he gives it, three ways of looking at yourself honestly in order to live differently with anxiety and to bring shalom into the world. The first is physical. Our bodies need a number of things in this world. Jesus named some of them in the text. But what we need to listen to and find ways to understand are the ways our bodies store anxiety. Too much physical exercise. Too little physical exercise. TMJ, high blood pressure, fogginess, depression, um, panic disorder. And it could be as simple as overworking, avoidance, procrastination. Our bodies will show the effects of too much worry. Um, I've realized this a couple of times this year. <laughs> These are very small things, but a couple of weeks ago, I was brushing my teeth, and all of a sudden, a tooth pops off onto my tongue. Um, I have three implants already and 18 crowns, so I have many, many 
adjustments inside my mouth. There are thousands of dollars <laughs> right here, and you can't even really see it. Um, but I do need them to eat, and I'm thankful for modern dentistry, although I've gotten aware I dread it. Um, I need them. Um, well, I have been clenching my teeth for about five years now. I use them, not mouth guard, night guard. Um, I just had one tooth broken off on one side from clenching, they think, and then I broke another tooth off on the same side. And I went, I just cried. <laughs> and this seems silly, but I just said, Lord, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? Why can't I get this fixed? Um, it really took me accepting the way I still am storing anxiety um, in my body to try to do some things again to care for it. There are a lot of other ways it shows up in our bodies, a lot more serious, but I just want to encourage you to think about it. The things we seek to use as corrections and avoid anxiety or to fix our anxiety will always show up in our bodies and listen to it. Listen to the Holy Spirit instruct you there. Um, the second is in recognizing our two selves. I don't know if y'all, when I describe this, you'll probably get it, but we have many selves. Like, what was that movie, Pixar movie, that where it tells you all the different people? Inside out, yeah. And, um, but one of, I'm gonna kind of go like that. One of them is called the anxious self, and one is called the ideal self. Our anxious self, excuse me, is made up of the parts we don't like. Once, the ones we try to squash, the things we try to hide, the things we are worried about, but we really think we shouldn't be worried about. And our ideal self is the version of ourself that we like better. It's the one, um, the calm and confident one. She's the one we want to project to the world. She's not the one who's, who's scared and nervous. She's the smart and strong and funny one, not the weak and needy and worried one. She is the perfect mother with the well-adjusted perfect child. <laughs> not the one worried about every move her child makes or does or doesn't do. And guess what? The ideal self hates the anxious self. They're always at war, these two. For, part, for a large part of my life, my ideal self went out. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I'm not proud of this, but in college, I so wanted to hide the anxious self that I became a chameleon watching everybody around me. And I would do it during meals. Um, and I would watch how everybody interacted with other people and the way they treated other people and when they laughed and when they didn't laugh. And I tried to become that person. And it worked to some extent. But that old anxious self kept popping her head back up. Um, and um, when the anxious self could be kept down no longer, it wasn't pretty. 
It was tumultuous. It was messy, and it took me some time to recover from it. But it was so very good and a relief to finally find the kingdom I was made for. I didn't have to try to be the ideal self. I think that in a real sense, Jesus requires this of all of us if we want to grow spiritually, of recognizing our two selves. I know many of you relate to them, having the ideal self, and I bet a lot of you relate to wanting to be the perfect parent or friend or spouse or designer or fill in the blank. The third thing, and last, is mirroring. This is a way of looking outward that comes from being able to accept yourself as Jesus does. And an imperfect, beautiful creature who he has a specific role for in his kingdom. You see, once we've learned to see ourselves as we really are and have, accept, and have named it and accepted it, to use a spiritual term, spiritual term, we submit to it. He's given us a gift. It's called a clear mirror. With that mirror, we can mirror the love of Jesus to other people. But if that mirror is dark or cloudy, our anxiety gets mirrored back to those around us. I saw that especially in my parenting. And I hope one day that my children and I can have a really good, long, deep conversation about it when they're ready. Once Jesus has nurtured you in seeing him rightly and seeing yourself rightly, you will experience what I think is an amazing thing. And if you're seeking and asking for this, um, while you're doing it, ask Jesus for friends who want this too. Friends who reflect Jesus' truth and love. Yesterday, I kept voice texting my three closest friends, um, Catherine, Beverly, and Lynn, asking them to pray for me. Each time, I felt like I had to rewrite the paper. <laughs> and you know what they did? They kept reminding me of God is how God had called me to talk about this, of how I didn't need to try to be something I wasn't, of how God has especially equipped me to talk to you about anxiety because I have walked a long road with it, um, about how I love his, how he reveals who he really is in his word. And he wants us to really know that that truth, not the one we struggle with, with anxiety. They were good friends. They told me the truth, each in their unique ways. And that's what you can do for others when your mirror is clear. The amazing thing is that in doing this type of work on your anxiety, you will see Jesus if you're seeking. And a byproduct of that is you will find real joy, true joy, which I think comes from a collision of peace and purpose. Keller says that when we experience this, we can say this, that down deep, really down deep, I have the only thing that really matters, the very best thing. And the more I recognize it, the more I begin to say, and can't you just hear Tim Keller saying this, hey, wow, that's pretty good. 
I want to do this more. He says we should be experts in joy, but instead we're not. We're scared and we're full of anxiety because we put our eyes on the wrong things and not on the right ones. We put our eyes on the world and not on the clear mirror. We put our eyes on the things or our bodies and not the giver of the things and our bodies. Jesus is providing in these last verses a concluding encouragement about goods, possessions, life, money, by telling us um, that enjoyment of them is fine. But to set our hearts on them means we're setting our hearts on the lesser object of our desires. That our highest object of our desires is God's way of being in the world. He promises that this will result in all of our needs being truly met in the deepest sense of the word. Do we believe him? That was one of the biggest questions I asked myself constantly as I worked through anxiety. I could see where I didn't believe him. But he is faithful. And there's so much more I could say to you all about what I learned and about stories from my life, about Jesus has worked through great things and hard things and how he continues to draw me and you into his kingdom. Um, But I really wish that I can be an expert in joy now instead of anxiety. I'm working on that. I want you to close your eyes to end it and listen to this, and then I'll pray for our time in the group. This is our passage in the message. You see, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now in this moment, and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Dear Jesus, thank you that you want to see, that you see us, that even when we feel anxious, you come to us. You want us to name it. You want us to see what it is and what it's not. You want us to want the deeper things and see your kingdom and how you want to work in our lives. Lord, I pray for the time that we talk about this in our groups. I pray that that we won't hide. I pray that we'd find a safe spot. I pray you'd provide good friends for these women. I pray that you would um, come alongside them and provide assistance and wisdom and guidance in their roles as wives mothers, employees, friends, and that they might be, we all might be, here at this church, a glimmer of the glory 
of your kingdom and that others would be brought in through it. I pray these things in your name. Amen.